Well, hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. My name's Jonathan, your content producer over at Stay Forth Designs, and I'm excited to get us into our conversation today. But before I do, I want to remind you to head over to HealthyLeaderSummit.com and register for the Healthy Leader Summit. Today's day four. That means it's the last day of the summit, and we still have great content available for you. Today's discussions are all around practical leadership issues. We've got a great lineup of speakers who are all here to help you lead from a posture of health, to refresh you, to recharge you, and to equip you to lead yourself and those you care about well, not only in this season, but in the seasons to come. So do me a favor, head over to healthyleaderssummit.com, hit that register button. You can make as little as a $5 donation and gain access to all of today's content. And guess what? Yesterday's content is still open. So if you're unsure of what Healthy Leader Summit's all about, you've heard us talk about it, but you're not sure whether it's for you, make a $5 investment. You can skip on a cup of coffee, you can skip on something else, and make a lasting investment in your leadership. And if you find you really like it, and you want to go back and see what you've missed over the the other few days, you can grab a lifetime pass. Once you grab that lifetime pass, you'll have access to everything across all four days once the summit closes. So do me a favor, head over to HealthyLeaderSummit.com, get yourself registered, check out all of today's content, and view yesterday's content before it closes. We promise you'll experience life change You'll have some transformational moments. These talks are phenomenal. There's 40 leadership practitioners who all came together to pour into you. They've navigated the same complexities you have, the same complexities we have, and they really, really believe in getting you healthy so that you can reach more impact. So head over to HealthyLeaderSummit.com. Make that $5 donation. It'll all go towards Compassion International's We Rise as One initiative, and we will see you in the summit. We continue to talk about health and to explore different aspects of healthy leadership. And guys, today we are addressing this really unhealthy thing called cancel culture. And what I love is that, Adam, I sense you are the opposite of cancel culture. Like when the world cancels on someone, that's when you seem to move in. And I so appreciate this about your posture. You you embrace people who have been canceled on, pushed aside by others. And just what a crazy moment this is that one moment, one tweet, one soundbite can essentially get you disqualified, pushed out of people's circle of influence in many ways. And so we want to talk about cultivating that environment of grace uh, that so much of your life, I believe, revolves around. So uh, Adam, just to, to start us off, do you remember when you first developed this heart that you have for the outsider? Yeah, I first have to say this honor to, to be with you, Alan. But uh, yeah, I, I'm just a fan of yours and just appreciate you and who you are. Really, my heart for the outsider, um, I was actually thinking about earlier today, started back as far as I can possibly remember, back in elementary school, actually, for me. Uh, I was not the popular kid. I was not the cool kid. As every other kid got cooler, I got nerdier. And so I've always had a heart. Um, I've always had a heart for the person who doesn't fit in or maybe the person who doesn't belong or maybe the person who feels like an outsider. We moved actually in sixth grade. We moved to a new town and I went from being the biggest nerd to having the cutest girl in town call me. And I thought it was a joke. I actually thought it was, I thought she was like trying to mess with me or something. And even then, like since that time, God's been doing cool things, whatever, but I've always continued to have a heart for that person who's just on the outside. Um, when the person that everyone walks away from is the person that I want to get close to. Mm. And you do, you do that well, man. I just want to affirm that. Uh, why do you believe there's so much hatred and trashing others, especially online today? Why is that? 
we, we love to celebrate the downfall of others. Um, it's a part of our pride. We feel better about ourselves when we tear other people down. And so any opportunity we get, it's, it's something about our flesh and how we're wired. It's, it's gross, honestly. There's something in us that loves to celebrate the failure of others because it props us up. And so anytime we have the ability to do, do that, uh, we, we jump on board. We see one person's mistake and we, we, we jump on it, totally forgetting about our own shortcomings and imperfections. And, and sadly, that sounds like something that just the world does. And yet, sadly, it's something that I would say the church does even more. Um, and it's not anything, it's not anything new. Uh, cancel culture actually existed. Jesus, um, there was a, this woman caught in adultery. And they, they caught her in the act and they all brought her out before Jesus had their stones ready and asked Jesus. They were trying to trap Jesus, what, what he thought. And um, I mean, it was cancel culture at its finest. I mean, like, oh my gosh, I got my rock. That pastor had a failure. That pastor screwed up. I can't wait. Oh, by the way, who heaves without stone cast the first, without sin cast the first stone. And I mean, that's, I think that's cancel culture at its finest, forgetting our own sin um, while focusing on the sin of somebody else and forgetting our own imperfections and shortcomings, um, hoping that it will make us look better. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Man, you you just released a book, Love Has a Name, and you delve into these personal stories. And many times a book can be kind of zoomed out. Here's a big topic but you push into some really personal stories. Can you first share a story of somebody who's, who's really loved you well and how that impacted you, how, how that's affected and shaped who you are? Yeah. Um, yeah. The book is the names of 27 people who have either loved me or I've tried and attempted to love them. And when I think about people, two people specifically who have loved me in those moments, it's a guy named Travis and it's a guy named Tyler. Uh, Travis is a campus pastor uh, on staff here at the church. He was my first full-time hire. And uh, Tyler is a realtor here in Sioux Falls. Uh, He's never worked at a church. Just an amazing guy crushing in real estate. And a couple of years ago uh, at the church, this will connect with with pastors and staffs and even business leaders. I had to make a really uh, unpopular decision. Um, I had to let somebody go, um, who was beloved and it just wasn't a fit. Um, I only wish I would have done it sooner. And so it was a really hard decision and I knew it was going to cause division. I had no idea what it was going to bring my way. And, um, I've quickly found myself, uh, at a really hard, broken place, um, the center of attention in not good ways. And really for the first time in my life, I feel like had my character questioned at every part, even my relationship with Jesus questioned. And so there was an exodus of people. Sometimes we make those decisions. Sometimes we make a foolish decision and we screw up and those things happen. Um, But other times we make a decision that we know is right, even though it's not popular. And for either of those situations, people exodus. But for me in that moment, it was, it was Tyler and it was, was Travis uh, who got closer to me as everyone was walking away, uh, many of them had only seen the good in me. Here's two guys who had seen the good, bad, and ugly inside of me. And instead of walking away, they just got closer and closer and closer. And really during that time for me, um, there there was a paralyzed man in the Bible and he's got four friends on his mat that carry him to Jesus. And I'm always blown away that there was a crowd of people, so many people that they couldn't get in the door, but there was only four people that helped 
And um, I, I, my prayer for any any leader, pastor, volunteer, follower, Jesus, staff person is that they'd have four people in their lives who would be willing to do anything they need to do to get um, to get you to Jesus. In those moments when it feels like you can't breathe, in those moments where you've maybe made a big, big mistake uh, and you've been canceled, uh, or you've made a hard leadership decision and you've been canceled, I pray that all of us would have four people who would carry us to Jesus. The coolest part of that story and it is uh, um, it's uh, Jesus basically says their faith has made you well. Like he points out their faith when they lower him down in front of Jesus. And we need times. I don't know, like anybody listening sometimes when you don't feel like you have any faith left, sometimes when it feels like you're hurting so much that you can't, you can't pray. Um, gosh, we need people on our mat carrying us and saying, Hey, uh, God is still good. God is still faithful. God still has a plan for you. You screwed up, but it's not going to define you. You made this hard decision. I promise it's only going to make you stronger. And uh, you're not, you can't pray. So I'm going to pray for you. Mm. And I'm going to consistently carry you to Jesus. That's so good, man. And, and for those, I mean, literally thousands of people listening to this, that's my prayer is that you have somebody because you're going to hit hard times. Maybe you already have in this season is do you have a few people who can just muscle that mat in the air um, when you cannot lift yourself, you cannot continue on. Um, Adam, can you kind of flip the script on that a little bit? Talk about when you've been a mat carrier and somebody that you've tried to to love well in in those really tough moments. Yeah. So I've always had this. I love that first question about when did it start? Because for me, it was again, kindergarten. And so I've always had that heart, but it's really even grown over the last two years, uh, even more so. Um, And I I think, honestly, God needed to address some pride and ego in my life Uh, for a decade. All we saw was success. And after that, it starts getting to you. Um, And so really through that time, now, any time that I see anybody at the center of gossip, at the center of brokenness, uh, at the center of a, you know, a stone fight, I immediately try to reach out to them and just say, Hey, is there anything that you need? Um, would you want to grab coffee? Um, is, do you need the name of a counselor? Would you just, would you want to grab coffee? I, I'll pay for it. Like uh, you can, I, this is a safe place. Uh, I've even had spouses of pastors that have reached out to me and just said, Hey, um, my husband, my, my wife works at this church. I know you've gone through some things. What would you recommend? And it's been amazing to me of how many people have started reaching out because uh, for, for many pastors, specifically as there, if there is garbage in your life, um, whether it's pornography, you're doing some things you're not supposed to be doing, it's a setup for not saying it. I mean, we're positioned in a way that you can't be imperfect. You can't yeah, make right. mistakes because because if you do, you lose your job, you lose your career, you lose your ability to provide for your family. And so it's, right. it's almost it's almost a setup. Like I can't be real. And then and 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 then even for me again, for my heartache situation wasn't any kind of moral imperfection, and yet still I felt an insane amount of shame. I, I just felt like I had failed as a leader, and so I didn't want to let anybody in because I don't want to share that I'm a failure. And so for me, I've really tried to look in those two situations and just reach out, um, whether it's in the worst situation where someone's taken their life to try to reach out and minister to the family, um, a, you know, a pastor doing that, or if it's a pastor that's struggling with alcohol or whatever it might be, 
um, or just, you know, they lost their job, even if they rightfully so lost their job, just reaching out to that person and saying, hey, better days are ahead. And, um, and also just kind of comforting people, both in the church and also pastors of this last Sunday, I, I said, church hurt hurts worse than any kind of hurt I've ever seen before, because you expect differently. You know, you expect some, you expect grace. And um, when you don't receive it, it's a really, really hard thing. And so for me, it's really almost a day-to-day thing of intentionally reaching out. Um, I, I want to be with people and I want to be a first phone call on people's worst day, not on people's best day. Mm-hmm. On people's best day, it's an, it's humbling to be on, you know, on, on a phone call on someone's best day. I'm like, oh man, this is great. You, you did, you had 10 baptisms in your service. That's incredible. Like you got this new hire, you launched a campus, you, you broke an attendance goal that you had. Like, that's so cool. You released a book, you bought your, your worship team released an album. Those are awesome. But for me, the much greater honor is, um, you've left, you've lost everything. Um, it, your sin came to light. Um, people hate your guts. Uh, you were misunderstood. People are gossiping about you. And to think that someone on that worst day would reach out to me, there's nothing better. We, and we need more of that. If you're, if you're listening, if you have a pulse, you've experienced pain (laughs) and turns out you're human. And yet I think many times the walking wounded, and we've talked about some of the pain of, of your past seasons, the walking wounded are well prepared to have that empathy that in this season, God, God has shown you. So Adam, thanks so much. For that, so yeah. there's this miracle that happens in relationship. We move from the general of knowing somebody at a distance to the personal of, of truly knowing their story. What is that? What happens when we move into someone's story that draws us so close to their heart? It, it changes everything. It's easy to stereotype, to generalize, to assume when a person is no longer a person, they're just a blur. You know, and that's, that's true, whether it's our cashier, whether it's our coworker that we need for something from anytime we dehumanize a person, it's, it's, it's much easier to overlook them, to bash them, to speak poorly about them. You get to know their story. It changes everything. I mean, it changes everything. This is true. Even of non-Christians, um, you'll see a group of guys who are talking about a, a woman inappropriately of like, oh, she'll go with anybody or he'll sleep with anybody. Yep. But then all of a sudden that same group knows that she was abused or he was abused. And you'll see that same group of guys defending them. Someone will talk about them. Hey, she's off limits. You don't, you don't talk poorly about her. What changed? You know her name and you know her story. You know his name and you know her story. Yep. I mean, it changes so, it changes so much. I even just recently... Uh, this is being really candid. There was a pastor that I've always kind of just been like, I don't know what to think about them. And like, I don't know, I don't know what the draw is with them, blah, 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 blah. I've never vocalized it. Like I literally, God put fire in my mouth if I ever speak poorly about another pastor. So I've never vocalized it, but I've definitely felt it in here. I connected with him last month. I got done. I was so convicted I got off. The very first thing I did was I went to my wife who knew nothing about my feelings about so-and-so. And I just said, I just need to confess that I felt this way about somebody. When you get to know a person's story, it changes things. That's true of other, other colleagues, people that are maybe competition for you. When you start sitting down with them and you get to know their story, it changes everything. And also your ability to love the person 
uh, for me, the hardest people to love, we all have them in our church. <laughs> like those people that you're just like, oh my gosh, how could, how could God possibly make someone like you? And it's not a compliment. When you, get, when, you, when you get to know that, when you get to know everybody's picturing that person right now. That's right. Uh, when you get to know their story and you get to know their name, all of a sudden compassion and kindness begin to well up within you. You begin to see uh, the image of God inside their lives. And even for me, this last weekend, there was a, a fella, I'm restoring a house right now. And there was a fellow who came up, it was 11 o'clock in the morning, a guy who came up who was so intoxicated, he could barely stand. And, um, uh, and he was burping literally every other second. I'm like, okay, this is going to get ugly pretty soon. And, um, so barely standing, but I just asked him, uh, I asked him about his kids. And even though he was totally intoxicated, he ended up telling me about his son. And, uh, in a matter of seconds, I was heart sick for both this dad and also his son. Um, just by hearing that glimpse, he went from being just another drunk guy, like don't puke on my lawn. Like you're like, you know, like to all of a sudden, like, man, that guy's made in the image of God and God's not done with him yet. And even now he's not outside the grace of God. And if, if he decided that it was rock bottom and he, he needed Christ and, and God help, like God could change him, uh, radically change. He could make him brand new. And uh, it all changed because I got to know his story a little bit. And so for me, anybody that you uh, are quick to kind of in your soul, even if you don't say it, belittle or judge or overlook or treat like a piece of machinery instead of a person, maybe that's even your staff. Um, you've started treating them like robots instead of humans. And I've been guilty of that myself. I'm passionate about the gospel, passionate about telling people about Christ. And that's one of my, my struggles is I start looking at people as like, what can you do? For even the kingdom of God, by the way, um, what can you do for the kingdom of God instead of being like, no, you're a person with a soul. What's your story? And um, it just begins to change uh, how you treat them, how you act, think about them, how you uh, just how you lead them, every part of it. Mm. Can can you leave leaders with just a few things to get really practical? We're in a divided season right now. We've come from a really hard season. We don't yeah. know exactly what's ahead. This is election year. 2020 has not been what any of us had expected. So what are a few practical things leaders can do when we feel like leaning out to actually lean in and love others well right now? Oh, that's a great question. I think a couple of things. It might just be as simple as grabbing coffee with somebody who thinks differently than you do. Um, maybe specifically another pastor or a person from another church that you know is on the other side of whatever issue it might be. And just, hey, I want to grab a, a grab coffee with you. The um, One of the coolest relationships in my life, if there was a, a competitor in town, um, he's really the only pastor that I consistently grab coffee with. And we're actually on a very same page theologically, so we're not different in this way. But you grab coffee on a regular basis, it makes it impossible to feel those feelings uh, of division. And that's not even on a hot, hot button issue of any kind. Again, we're very similar, but I, I think just grabbing coffee with somebody and hearing their story, that person who gets underneath your skin, there's certain people um, that it's wise to have boundaries with. They're just toxic people. Maybe uh, be, be tread lightly there, but the person who's just different than you, they got a level head. They just think very different you, than you. That's a person that you should befriend. 
Um, yeah. do you, a, a question, another question for us um, would, would be, and this set will reveal so much about our words and our attitudes. Do people who think differently than us still want to be friends with us? Wow. And what are we doing that people wouldn't want to be friends with us? That's great. Like, you know, cause I, I think uh, Jesus was so good at, he was so such a balance of grace and truth that even people who lived completely different than everything he stood for were drawn to him. I mean, all the time, the, the tax collectors and sinners are like trying to get as close to Jesus as they possibly can. Is that true? Of, is that true of me and of you and of everybody listening? Um, if it's not, some things have to change. You might have the greatest theology ever, but gosh, your life, which is much more important than your theology, is is not like Jesus. And and so I think that's the second the second thing is. Are people wanting to be my friend? Not just acquaintances, not just I'll put up with that guy, but I want to be friends with Adam because I know he's a bridge builder. And he's a guy that um, I really respect because he's level-headed and he'll hear me. He's not just waiting to talk. So I think starting with those two things is a game changer. And then the last thing that I would say is be really, really good at um, saying phrases like I might be wrong or I don't know or I'm still learning. Yeah. Um, and those are really, really hard for our pride sometimes because a lot of times, again, this is kind of a setup for failure as pastors and as church people. We feel like we always need to know the answer. I've never felt more clueless during this time with everything from COVID to George Floyd to whatever is next. I don't know. I'm still learning. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm on a journey too. And I found there's something, um, we think we can't say those phrases, but there's something so endearing about saying those phrases. And relieving um, to us, freeing to us that we don't yeah. have to have it all figured out. That's right. And that's a gift to others. Pressure. When it you is. say that, suddenly it's a gift that others don't have to pretend. Because that's what it is, pretending that we have it all figured out. Adam, that's so good, man. So so practical. And we're we're leaving all these interviews with this final question, which I'm calling the, the 2030 question. So in 2030, what do you <laughs> hope people say about how you and your team navigated through 2020? Oof, great, great question. Um, honestly, I, I think it's, it's, it's a question I've been thinking about a lot when it comes to the end of my life. Um, so I think this is maybe not just 2020, but maybe my life. I hope what, they, what I hope they say about me personally is Adam was imperfect um, in so many ways. He was the first person to admit he was far from perfect, and yet he loved me so well. And um, maybe in 2020, it's uh, he disagreed with me. I know we were on different pages. We had different thoughts on things, but he loved me so well. And uh, I was a small church pastor, and he pastored this church over here that had a few people at it, yet he loved me so well. Um, I think for me, that would be success in my eyes is just um, that I would love people so much better off stage than I do on stage that I would just um, I, my neighbors would say but he loved me so well my wife and my kids but he loved me so well he was imperfect gosh last night he was kind of grumpy but he loved me so well um, I think that's the phrase that I would love to hear from people is just that somehow some way they saw saw Jesus inside of me shine, shine. We ain't focused so long.